welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. I just want to start by encouraging all of you that came to church and decided to chase after Jesus instead of Pokemon today. <laughs> we live in unusual times, don't we? God is good. God is being very good to us this summer as a church. As Kendall told you, we've had over 220 people go to different nations. Different ones of those are praying about long-term callings back into these countries, there's an unusual openness in the midst of the shakings of the nations that we are really encouraged about. Uh, I told you last week about the fruit we saw in South Africa, an open door that we'll be planting all people's South Africa in the spring, and so that's really exciting. And uh, yesterday I saw on Instagram a picture that just brought tears to my eyes from our All People's Tijuana first outreach. I think I told you that 35 of them went with 15 from, from All People's San Diego down to Guadalajara. And uh, let me just show you this picture of the outreach they're doing right here in one of the squares. If you see the guy in the middle doing this right here, um, that is Jose a year and a half ago he was in a park in Tijuana with his wife, mocking our team as they were preaching the gospel. Jose came to Christ. He's become one of our leaders. A year and a half later, he's the main character in the drama. Uh, show, show, uh, show the next picture. Here's the next picture. This is a guy that Jose led to the Lord and started discipling on the trip. Is that amazing or what? There is nothing like seeing people's lives completely transformed, not just saved, but discipled, raised up into leadership, and now a major, a major kingdom contributor. God is doing such great things. We're, we're loving watching what he's doing in the nations this summer. Also, here in San Diego, God has been so good to us. The uh, strapping young buck, you saw he looked like a professional basketball player up here uh, sharing some announcements and doing the offering. He is the newest addition to the All People's staff. This is Jason Weatherred, who's our new college pastor. And uh, Jason and, and his wife, Hannah, or Hannah, if you talk to her in correct English, she's from England, uh, they came to San Diego to plant a church, and God had just a, a curveball for them. They got involved in our training school. You'll be hearing more of their story but they are going to be leading out the college ministry. Many of you already know them, so we are ex extremely excited about God bringing Jason to be a part of the team. And then next week, you'll be hearing from another pastor that just stepped on with us, Jeff Bianchi. Jeff and his wife Sarah have been uh, planting in Boston for the last 17 years, 
And Jeff and Sarah felt a course change and came and did their sabbatical here in San Diego. And we had no idea that God would be actually leading us to all partner together. So he will be a new families pastor with us. So super exciting. Uh, you'll get to meet him next week. He'll be preaching. So make sure and give him a, a warm, hearty San Diego welcome. And uh, we're looking forward to him becoming much tanner than he would have been in Boston. Uh, so this morning, we're going to continue on in our series on spiritual maturity. This morning, my message is entitled, They Had Been With Jesus. They Had Been With Jesus. Don't you want that said about you? He's been with Jesus. She's been with Jesus. And one of the things we're doing this summer is working on congregation response, audience participation. So anything good, you're welcome to hoot, holler, say amen, yes, brother, or however you feel fit. Acts chapter 4, verse 4 is where we're beginning this morning. It says this, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who had heard the message believed, so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. It's a good time to say amen. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could not see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to with, withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they had performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. I love this next part. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. As we continue our dialogue today about spiritual maturity, I want to remind you of the points that we made last week concerning the Pharisees and their three-legged construct of what they built spiritual maturity out of, amassing 
head knowledge, performing, performing rituals and good deeds, searching out extraneous mysteries. And we deconstructed that. And this week we're pointing towards some completely different people. They were known as unschooled and ordinary people, but they had been with Jesus. They were his closest friends, and later on, Scripture would say that they were going and turning the whole world upside down. I want to look at four characteristics of friends of Jesus this morning, and I want to propose to you that this is true spiritual maturity. Characteristic number one, Characteristic number one, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. They contain the, the countenance of Christ. The disciples had the countenance of Christ. What do I mean by this? I've shared my story many times of being 18 years old, arriving on my university campus, and being awestruck by a young woman who didn't have all the things that the world would say you need for success or for happiness, but instead she radiated with this joy, and on her face was a completely different glow than I had ever seen. Talking to her and asking her, why are you like this? She said, it's my friendship with Jesus. Have you ever met someone that's so in love with Jesus that it shines out from their very face? I tell you, I was apprehended by this. And it sent me on a journey of knowing God like this girl did. You know, later on, I would have the opportunity to spend some time with a man who had spent years walking around the world with a, a cross. His name was Keith Wheeler. He'd been in over 100 nations. And I remember that he'd tell these stories of amazing things God had done, and I, I so wanted to, to actually get to know him and see it firsthand. And I remember walking down the streets with him, and he didn't even have a cross with him. But as we would walk down the street, and he was a simple guy from, from a little town in Arkansas, but as we would just walk down the streets, I would notice that people would just turn and stare at him. I mean, nothing in his outer appearance uh, was, was something that would draw you to him except his face. And in his face, he just had this peace, this joy, and this kindness about him. And I would watch as people would actually turn and look at him. I actually remember getting on a hotel with him and this woman just staring at him. And him looking at her and her going. <laughs> and that right there, he looked at her and said, God loves you. And she just melted. And he started sharing the gospel. And I remember asking him, going, Keith. What is it? Why do people just look at you like that? He said, you know, I've prayed to have the countenance of Christ. I've prayed to have the countenance of Christ. Look at what 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says. It says, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What does this scripture propose? It actually says, as we spend time beholding Jesus. I'm not talking about just practicing religion. I'm not talking about just trying to get a, 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 a bunch of, of, of scripture to stick in our head. But I'm actually talking about gazing upon the Lord. It says that we actually become transformed to look like him. I remember asking Keith about this. He said, Robert, I, I picture Jesus' face. 
And I just try to spend time looking at him daily. I thought this is so different than the prayer that I was taught growing up. He says, as I do this, I I find that he just changes me. I I remember walking down the streets and 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 hardened people would look at him and just be so kind to him. And he'd engage and and, and talk to them about the love of God. And I I remember saying, Keith, I, I want my face to start looking like Jesus. Like, how do you do this? He said, well, I actually practice. I said, you practice having your face look like Jesus? He said, yeah, I actually do this. He goes, I go into the, into the bathroom in front of a mirror, and I put my hands on my face. And he goes, and then I picture blind Bartimaeus, who Jesus healed, and the first thing that Bartimaeus ever saw when his eyes were open were the kind eyes of Jesus, were the loving smile of Jesus. And I close my eyes, I have my hand over my face, and I move my hands and I look in the mirror. That's, that's not it. I, I try again. I close my eyes, open my face. <clears throat> you know, I, I, I got apprehended by this thought because I, I love telling people about Jesus. I, I, I love it, and it's so much better if people come and talk to you, right? You're not interrupting them. Instead, they're interrupting you. And so I would actually start laying my hands on my face and saying, Lord Jesus, Turn my face into something that looks like you. Have you ever done that? Like, do you pray over your face to look like Jesus? Let me, let me tell you, it's somewhat problematic because people will start talking to you all the time. Like, like it, it, it's, it's actually kind of weird. Like, uh, people will just start interrupting you and, and coming to you. It, it happened just yesterday. This woman, my wife and I are running. This woman stops us, and she's like, oh, help me, right? And, and you, you will find people coming to you the more and more you carry the countenance of Christ. I dream about a church where people walk in and say, I've never seen a people that look so much like Jesus. And I, I want to tell you, there, you don't have to be Jewish to look like Jesus. That, that, that first girl I met, 18 years old, she had fluffy blonde hair and pale skin. But she looked like Jesus. No one has the corner of the market on looking like Jesus. It's his spirit working in you. It's you gazing upon his beauty that starts changing you. I want to tell you, your workplaces need people that look like Jesus. The world is such a harsh place now. And the world is desperate for people who look with eyes of kindness, who smile with smiles of affirmation. People who ones can tell they have deep compassion in their hearts. The countenance of Christ, carrying the countenance of Christ is one of the marks of spiritual maturity. I encourage you to ask the Lord for it. Secondly, comes from verse 8, we see the next point. It says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, A second mark of spiritual maturity is carrying the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's carrying the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is what delineates relationship from religion. This delineates relationship from religion. Now let me explain very clearly. Every believer, every person who's given their life to Christ 
has the Holy Spirit living within them. And actually, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, let, me, let me help you understand this. What do I mean by the Holy Spirit living in us? Because of our sin, the Bible says that we're separated from God. You were born spiritually dead. There's a difference between a follower of Christ and a person in the world. We're all born spiritually dead, and there's a time where we realize, I need a Savior. So there's two types of people on earth, spiritually dead and spiritually alive. If you're spiritually alive in here, would you raise your hand for me? All right, that's awesome. I've got about three quarters of a church that's spiritually alive. What does that mean to be spiritually alive? Uh, in John chapter 3, Jesus called it being born again or born of the Spirit. We come to a, a point in our lives where we realize we need a Savior. We need Jesus to actually enter into our heart. I want to tell you, the world is full of churches where there are people in whom Jesus is not living inside of them. Did you hear me? Just because people go to church doesn't mean Jesus is living inside of them. How do we have Jesus living inside of us? The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Going to church, once again, doesn't save us. Doing good works, once again, doesn't save us. What saves us? It's the understanding that I'm separated from God, the understanding that I am spiritually dead, the understanding that I need someone to pay for my sins. That's what Jesus did on the cross. The Bible says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we could die to sin. Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death, and then he offers us new life. That if we would put our faith in Jesus, not on our good works, that he will actually enter into our heart enter into our life and make us born again or born of the Spirit. Therefore, we become sealed by the Holy Spirit. If you've given your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is living in you. Now, there's another delineation as we study the book of Acts, and it's called being filled with the Spirit, or it's called being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let me point you to Acts 1, verse 4. Acts 1, verse 4. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, what you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Well, we know that these disciples already were sealed by the Holy Spirit from the end of the book of John. But Jesus is saying, now wait to be baptized. Baptized means submersed. Baptized means completely dunked, completely clothed and covered. What was Peter doing when it says he stood up filled with the Holy Spirit? He was dripping with the Spirit. How many people know that you can be a Christian and seal with the Holy Spirit, but not be dripping with the Holy Spirit? We meet a lot of those kind of Christians, right? They're kind of crusty. They're kind of dry. They're kind of angry. They're kind of judgmental. And then every once in a while, you meet someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit. And just to be around them, you get wet, right? You're just, whoa, I mean, what's coming off of you? It's because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter stands up filled with the Holy Spirit and starts speaking boldly, boldly to people who've just crucified Jesus. Can you imagine? He's standing up now and boldly preaching the gospel, and that's the fruit of being filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. One of them's boldness. 
One of them in the book of Acts is prophecy. One of them in the book of Acts is tongues. One of them is joy. Who wants more joy? Then be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a characteristic of a spiritually mature person. That they realize, I don't just need to get saved once years ago. I need to be continually filled. I need to take my daily shower. Like in my house, I, I want my boys, they're not doing it yet, but I want them to take a daily shower. Because <laughs> little boys get stanky, right, when they don't take that shower. Can I just tell you, you get stanky when you don't get filled with the Spirit often as a Christian. Right, we just get slimed by this world we live in. I need you to get filled with the Spirit. Now, well, Pastor, I got saved 25 years ago. Well, great, can you imagine not taking a shower for 25 years? We need you baptized. We need you dripping, right? We need you, so you change the atmosphere. Your workplace needs the Holy Spirit soaking and dripping off of you when you walk in. So you become like a thermostat and you, you change the temperature. Students, you, your schools, your classrooms need you filled with the Holy Spirit. So you walk in, people go, what is that? Man, you know, you... You seem high. You say, there ain't no high like the most high. Right? You, 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 our, our, our families, our neighborhoods, they need us filled with the Spirit. I uh, love what's happening in our, in our night strike. Some of you have heard, well, and you're all going to hear about night strike is, is Anyone that wants to can come together several nights a week and they leave from our, our university campus and they go into City Heights, our, our target area here, and, and go and share the gospel and pray for the sick. And I, I love two weeks ago, Mitsu, Lisa, Mitsu, would you raise your hand down here? Mitsu is an awesome uh, man of God who just leads out in this. And, and Mitsu really felt led two weeks ago to say, let's, let's really spend some time getting filled up, getting saturated by the Spirit before we go out. A lot of times they'll just pray and go out, but he said this night we just really want to get filled up and saturated. And he comes back and says, I, I don't think it's any coincidence that that night 11 people got healed on the streets. This, this isn't just overseas in, in, in some obscure nation. This is here in San Diego within a mile radius of this building. I want you to just see one video. Uh, Mitsu has this amazing gifting to not only pray for people and them get healed and get saved, but then they all will, for some reason, shoot a, shoot a video with him telling what happened. So I love it because we're going to show one right here. Listen to what this guy says about his experience. This is on the street. I'm just walking over here to go get some, some stuff at the smoke shop, and this guy offered help if I had any pain. I let him touch my feet. I was completely, didn't, thought I was going to get a foot massage, and my feet were in a lot of pain. I was just talking to my buddy about how much they were hurting. He prayed for my feet to get better. I still don't believe or know how it worked, you know, but hey, it worked. I'm kind of freaked out. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Woo. No, thank you. I appreciate that, though. Welcome. I love it. I, I was on the way to the smoke shop. Uh, <laughs> did, 
you say one, you know, years ago, the temple was filled with smoke? Oh, I love it. Okay. Um, we, we need people filled with the Spirit, and these kind of things happen. Let's, let's look at this next verse. We're, we're backtracking a little in, in this text. It says this, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Can I, can I just tell you that the message we preach will often be disturbing to the world around us? The, the message we preach will often be disturbing to the world around us. So that brings us to characteristic number three. We have to be people who have a conviction to advance the kingdom. We have to, to carry a conviction to advance the kingdom because the message they were preaching wasn't popular. And, and it's time for us as believers to put to death the notion that if we're just sweet enough, everyone's going to like us. Like if I'm just a nice enough Christian, the world around me is going to accept me and love me. And, and we have to have our desire being the advancing of the kingdom beyond our own personal comfort, beyond our personal popularity, beyond our personal acceptance, beyond our personal ease of living. Because this message isn't always popular. And so what happened? They opposed, they were greatly disturbed by what Peter and John were talking about, yet they talked about it anyway. I was reading an article this week. We're, we're living in these kind of times. You know that, believers, that we have to stand and talk about things in love and in humility and in gentleness with tremendous compassion in our hearts, but we're having to talk about things that are not popular, that actually will disturb people. I was just reading about Bakersfield up the road, a, a very popular pastor in the town who's been uh, in the school board had to resign because he voted against the new laws, which went into effect January 1st, 2016, you might not know this, that schools now have to teach how to have safe homosexual sex to middle schoolers and high schoolers. So this pastor had to resign for that. Now, once again, as you know, we love homosexuals. We are people that are marked with compassion and grace for all people. But when the government begins mandating, teaching sin to our middle schoolers, someone has to stand up and say, this is not wrong. This is not okay to force this on our children. And so this pastor actually had to resign from the school board for voting against something that now was making him take an illegal stand. And I want to read to you his quote. He did it with such humility and grace he told his congregation, we must prepare the church to live as sojourners in a foreign land, a land that feels more foreign by the day. But can I tell you, the gospel has always thrived and flourished in antagonistic cultures. In the darkness is where Christians shine the brightest. So I have tremendous hope and joy that we will get more and more radical and more and more shiny as the days get more and more dark. 
You know, it's not just uh, the cultural battle we're fighting against a, 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 an increasingly more and more secularized society. When you decide to be a, a, a bold advancer of the kingdom, even religious people and Christians will oppose you. Do you know that? My post before being here at All Peoples, I was a college pastor at, the, at a church next to the largest Christian university in the world at the time. It was Baylor University. And because it was such a large university and, and ha, had excellent academics, numerous people that weren't Christians came and went to that school. And so we had the desire to make our university a very hard place to go to hell from. Does that make sense? We said, hey, we don't want any students to go to hell here, so we are going to share the gospel in a loving way. Can I tell you that we were actually opposed by the administration of the school for doing that? For, for lovingly telling people about Jesus and for praying about them. They said, well, you actually might offend someone. We said, this is a Christian school. Like, we can't tell people about Jesus. No, you, you could actually offend someone. You have to decide what Peter and John said here, judge for yourself who we will follow, you or God. Can I just tell you that there'll be Christians who say, hey, hey, why are you rocking the boat? Like, why, why do you have to share so bold? Like, why are you praying for people? Like, why are you going on that mission trip? Like, do you really need to go? Hey, aren't there enough people that need to hear in the United States? You ever heard that one before? You're like, um, mission trips, like, aren't my idea. Like, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Like, I didn't think of this. Like, he said, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Like, he told them to go before everyone had heard right here. Like, this is Jesus' idea, not mine. Are you committed to following Jesus, even when people oppose you? Even when Christians oppose you. Why, why sometimes will Christians even oppose you for boldly sharing the gospel? Because you make them feel uncomfortable. Because they're convicted. Oh, I should be sharing. But if I can stop you from sharing, then I won't feel convicted if I'm not sharing. But these spiritually mature friends of Jesus, they had a conviction to advance the kingdom at all costs. And the Bible would later say that they were turning the whole world upside down. I'm not hearing enough amens. Perhaps it is because conviction is falling on the room. <laughs> last point. The last point comes from these verses. It says, the next day, verse 5, the rulers and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? What were they talking about? If you look back one chapter to Acts chapter 3, they're talking about Peter and John walking into the temple at the hour of prayer, and there's a lame man. And the lame man looks at him and says, would you give me something? And Peter and John say this, Silver and gold I do not have. They're saying, in my pockets are no silver and gold. But then they say this phrase that absolutely rocks me. They said, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. They grab his hand, power flows into him, and homeboy jumps up and starts dancing a jig. What did they give to him? 
They gave him the charismatic power of Christ. The charismatic power of Christ. If we want to be spiritually mature, we need to carry the charismatic power. The dunamis power is the translation of charismatic dunamis. What is that? That word became translated later. That's where we get the word dynamite. Are you carrying dynamite in you? Some of you old-timers remember good times. And there'd be a guy who'd say, dynamite! Are you carrying dynamite power in you? The charismatic power of Christ. And so they lay hands on this guy. He jumps up. Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to him, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, let, let, let me just say this. Some people are like, well, we, we don't need those healings anymore. Like that was in the old days. We don't need those things. No, did you see it? Peter says it was an act of kindness. Why do we press in for healing so much at this church? Because we have compassion for those that are hurting and broken, and perhaps you've never been hurting before. But I can tell you, as a, as a young man, as a teenager who had a heart problem that almost killed him, I am so thankful for believers who contended in prayer for my healing. Because one day I was miraculously healed, and I've never dealt with that heart problem again, and I am thankful that miracles are still happening today. And I can tell you, those that have had a miracle in their body, and there are many in this church, they are grateful for believers who contend for biblical power still working in the church today. Because when the blind see, and when the deaf hear, and when backs are mended, and when disorders are healed, and when people are set free, they receive the kindness of God. And we want to be a church that's exceedingly kind to the broken. And so we contend for the charismatic power of Jesus. I want to tell you, don't just do it because you need it. Do it because the world needs it. Ask for the power of God, church. You might say, well, I just don't know. It doesn't, doesn't happen through me. Just keep praying for people. Because I want to tell you, people are so thankful when they live their lives in pain when they live their lives in, in physical burdens and they're set free instantly. And it points people. Did you, did you see that guy with the Star Wars shirt and the tats all over him that was going in the smoke shop? Did you hear what he said? Thank you, Jesus. That was so awesome. He was going to get a smoke and he ends up saying, thank you, Jesus. Why? Because the power points to who Jesus is. That, that, that's scriptural. When, when John's disciples came to Jesus and said, are you the Messiah? What did Jesus say to prove who he was? Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Remember, John is Jesus' cousin, but Jesus has totally confused him. Because he's, he's not this Messiah riding in on a white steed with a massive sword and looking all glamorous. I mean, Jesus is still confusing people, isn't he? A, a man who comes from, from nowhere on the backside of, of Nazareth, who was basically homeless, who continually humbles himself and is a friend to sinners. And, I mean, this... Even now, Jesus is offensive to religious people. 
So John was confused because he's just like, you're not the kind of Messiah I was thinking. So Jesus, to prove to John who he is, he says this. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I want to tell you, when the supernatural starts showing up, people start going, there's a real Jesus. There's a real Lord. And it goes from religion to relationship. That's why we so long to be a church where the charismatic power of God is resting. Jesus said this, because you might be saying, well, I agree, Jesus can do these things. Of course he can, he, he's God incarnate, but can, can we really expect those things? Listen to this from John 14, 11. This is Jesus talking. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Or another translation says, on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus is saying, I want these works to come through you. Imagine high school students, healings breaking out on your campus. What's that going to do to the students around you? Imagine college students. All of a sudden, people are getting prayed for. Crutches are being dropped. All kinds of illnesses are being eradicated. Imagine in your workplace when these kind of things happen, when the power, the charismatic power is working through you. Steph and I in, in South Africa, we went to the ice cream shop with our kids one night, and we start talking to the man who was serving ice cream, and we're telling him about God's love for him and said, can we pray for you? And he says, sure, you know, just kind of casually. I said, no, can we pray for you right now? He goes, okay. I said, how can we pray for you? He goes, pray for my kids. And then he looks at me and could tell I was serious. And he said, actually, pray that I can have my addiction to smoking broken. I thought, well. I said, well, let us just lay hands on you. Steph and I reach over the counter, lay our hands on him. And immediately he just starts going, huh, huh. He starts getting hot. Next thing I know, he backs up. He takes his jacket off. He goes, what are you doing? I said, that's not us. It's the Holy Spirit. He goes, who are you? I said, we're just followers of Jesus. I said, that's the Holy Spirit touching you. He goes, this is amazing. He takes his cigarettes out of his pocket, goes and throws them in the trash. He goes, I don't need these anymore. And we share the Lord with him and immediately gives his life to Jesus. In an ice cream shop, getting ice cream. Okay, God is just waiting for you. It was just a normal day. I didn't feel like something special coming through me. We just said, let's just lay our hands on this guy. I think there's some ice cream shops where people need to get touched this week in San Diego. Right? I think there's some, some, some smoke shops where people are going in, and we got to give them something better. I think there's some, med some, some doctor's offices, and there's some businesses where people need to experience the power of God, and it's going to awaken people to the reality that Jesus is real, and open the doors in your workplace, in your families, in your schools, in your neighborhoods, to the reality of who God is. So let me just finish with this. 
What's the key to growing in these four characteristics? The countenance of Christ. Carrying the presence of the Holy Spirit. Conviction to advance the kingdom. Charismatic power flowing through you. It all comes down to this. Being with Jesus. Being with Jesus. I was thinking about it this week. If someone were to come and ask me, Pastor, you can impart one thing to your church. Like you can give them one lesson and one lesson only. What would it be? I would say I'd long for my church to be with Jesus. Like that's my desire for you. Is that you would know this isn't a religion. This isn't some ideological construct. This isn't something you do on Sundays. Like you are invited to be with the living God, to walk with him. It says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they took note and they were astonished because they were unschooled and ordinary people. They were unschooled and ordinary. Anyone feel ordinary in here today? Can anyone feel ordinary? You're the perfect candidate to be with Jesus. It says, and they marveled that these men had been with Jesus. I long for a church that's been with Jesus because when we've been with Jesus, we start hearing his voice. When we've been with Jesus, we start feeling his peace. When we've been with Jesus, we start experiencing his joy. When we've been with Jesus, we start carrying his presence. When we've been with Jesus, our faces start looking different. And when we've been with Jesus, the world around us begins to be transformed. To just close your eyes with me for a minute. I have a feeling the, the reason you came this morning is because you want to be with Jesus. And I just encourage you right now to just, by an act of faith, just put your hand on your heart, if that's your desire, and to say, Jesus, I want to be with you. Here's one thing I know about having four children. When my kids look at me and say, Daddy, I want to spend time with you. It melts my heart. And can I just tell you, when you talk to Jesus and say, I want to be with you, I believe it melts his heart. I believe he longs to be with you even more than you long to be with him. He loves you. He is crazy about you. And Lord Jesus, you see hundreds of people this morning they want to be with you. I pray that you'd draw near to them, that they'd hear your voice, that they'd feel your touch, they'd carry your presence, that you'd start changing and transforming them. Would you just stand up right now and keep your eyes closed?